0: Today's episode is brought to you by Alife Health. Managing IVF just got easier. Download the Alife app today for easy-to-use test result tracking, medication and appointment reminders, and a timeline to prepare you for the next steps. Your IVF journey, all in one place. Now available on the Apple App Store.
1: You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. Woo! <laughs> um, I am Dr. Carrie Media. I am from the fertility, do- uh, fertility Center of Las Vegas, and I am joined by my two absolutely darling and frankly disgustingly amazingly put together for the hour of the morning <laughs> doing this. <laughs> our, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello. And Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center.
1: Hey, Carrie, how are you? You seem really excited today. Why are you so excited? We moved into our new office yesterday. <laughs> Oh wow! So cool. cool.
0: Like a whole new office, right? Like
2: built from the ground up. This has taken four. Excuse my language. Four fucking ever to get (laughs) um, (laughs) because I hope there's no no uh, people with delicate ears um, listening. But it has taken us. Years to get this thing off the ground because right as we were getting ready to go, COVID hit and the whole thing ground oh. to a halt. Oh, did and it really? So well. Wow. We have this big, beautiful new building and a gorgeous new lab, and I have an office that's cleaner than it's ever going to been. <laughs> have been my um, both my offices, so the one that I just moved out of and the one that I moved into, both are spotless right now. This will be the only time in my life that this <laughs> ever happens. Yeah, and yeah, it's super.
1: Exciting! I so mean, tell tell us what's your what's your new office going to look like? How are you going to decorate it?
2: So it's kind of already decorated because I'm a little OCD, huh. and so the past couple of weeks, as we've been gradually moving stuff over, I've got um, so I've got a big window on one wall. And then the the next wall over is kind of the, um, what I consider to be the self-esteem wall. because <laughs> It's got all of my degrees. A Tells lot you how important you are? <laughs> yes. It's when I, so when I first started practice, I had my self-esteem wall like right across from where my desk was. And so every time I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I would look up at that and go, okay, <laughs> somebody has- I have a
1: degree. Me. Somebody thinks I know
2: what I'm doing. <laughs> somebody thinks I know what I'm doing. Like I won these awards. Somebody thinks I'm I'm okay at this. And so um, so I have my self-esteem wall on one side. And then the other I side- I would just
0: like to say that Carrie is one of the most brilliant people on the planet. <laughs> and so for anybody who's listening, this may be their first, episode like it it's just a show that we are all human
1: Yes. We all have those feelings that we, we all have those moments.
2: Yes. Without fake a doubt. It till you fake it till you make it, right, Carrie? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So um and then the wall right across from my desk, I am I'm looking for some art to put up because that's that's what I stare at all the time. And I don't I, I don't want to stare at certificates. I want to stare at something beautiful. Um yep. and so I'll look around for art. And then the other one is, you know, all of it, journals and you know, the place where I store my lab coats and 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 scrubs and stuff like that. So so I'm super excited. And and this sounds ridiculous, but I have my own bathroom. And that means- Oh my gosh, you're lucky, man. Number one, I don't have to wait for everybody else to pee in my office because (laughs) our office is almost entirely women. And I cannot tell you the number of times I would have to pee in between patients and I can't find a bathroom. (laughs) <laughs> and that's one thing. And then the other thing is that I, when I was changing into scrubs, my old office had a window and it had like um, a, a curtain over it that was semi see-through like it blurred everything but people needed to be able to see well, in and you know whether I was you're crazy.
1: in Vegas Carrie I mean that's like the Norman it's stripping in a window you know
2: I mean isn't that what they normally do in Vegas yeah strippers don't look like I do strippers look like <laughs> nothing like I do nobody needs to, like I, I don't need a sexual harassment suit for my staff nor do I need to blind them <laughs> so yeah so I'm super
0: excited that is so awesome that's is awesome is it one
2: story or is it multiple stories it's one story it's about three times the size of our old office. And the the middle lobby area is is two stories tall. So there's Ooh. like, it's really spacious and Aww. there's a huge window that goes the entire length of it. So there's oh a lot of gosh. natural light. And I'm hoping that when patients come into it, they're just, it's calm and it's serene, a, serene and it's a pleasant place to sit while you're waiting for annoying things to happen. And yeah,
0: I I always tell people because they like come in my office and they're like, this is like more like a living room. And I'm like, well, I know nobody actually wants to come and see me. So we try to make it it as
2: comfortable as possible. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. So I am, I am super, super excited. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. So question? Yeah. Let's do questions. All
0: right. Let's do a couple of them this morning. Okay. Hi. Thank you all for your podcast. I've learned so much and honestly, I don't know where I'd be in my IVF journey without the knowledge I've gained from your show. I'm 40 with FSH of 7.94 and AMH of 0.59. I've done two egg retrievals and have a euploid embryo. I had an endometrial biopsy and was diagnosed with chronic endometritis. I was prescribed a 14-day supply of doxy but could only complete six days as I was hospitalized with severe diarrhea and dehydration as a result of the med. My doc says the six days I completed should be fine and we can move on to transfer. I feel that the biopsy should be repeated to ensure the chronic endometritis is gone. Is there another way to treat CE besides doxy? We would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you.
2: So I would agree with the repeat biopsy. Six days is, it might be enough, but it might not be enough. Um, The other sets of antibiotics that you can potentially use, um, there's a combination of cipro and tinidazole, um, which can work. The the cipro tends to be a lot more tolerated. Um, I haven't had patients who've really objected to the. Ten, I don't. I'm not saying this right, but tinidazole, ten, tinidazole. Um, it's an anti. Uh, it's it's very similar to like flagyl and that type of. of. Well, I
1: was just gonna say flagyl and Dotsy is kind of like what people use sometimes for PID. They also use like cefixime as well, but I mean that's an injection. I wouldn't do that, but I. But I have done Flagyl and doxy. I don't do them simultaneously though. I do them separately. I've In done flagell case, and cipro together. Yeah. It's a lot oh, to do two together, but it is,
0: but always with probiotics on board too. Oh, that's a good idea. Yes. Yeah. That's that a, good is a good idea.
1: idea. I like, I'm going to add that to my protocol. Um, yeah, actually, probiotics is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Huh, okay. Thank you, listener, for uh, asking. This question <laughs> because Abby and I just picked up things like, oh yeah, well, one. you know, because it made
1: me think. I did. Um, I did a medical mission trip to Honduras, and so I was with a family practitioner, and just about everybody we treated for Giardia because that was endemic mm-hmm. there, and so mm-hmm. the family practice doctor had everybody do. Treatment for Giardia and probiotics. Probiotics for everybody with GI stuff. So, so I actually,
0: I, I started doing probiotics on more people when, so um, if you're, if you're, you have a progeny patient and you are doing an endometrial biopsy for an ERA, you also can do testing their Emma and Alice testing. And one of those essentially is for chronic endometritis and the other one essentially is to test for the normal bacterial flora. And one thing that I've been noticing is that with us giving, you know, I think in our last episode, we were just talking about, you know, giving a course of antibiotics. And in our our fight to, like, fight the bad stuff, we sometimes do annihilate the good stuff, too. Mm -hmm. And so, I think a little probiotics for most people. Is probably a good idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's ever going to object to pooping normally. Correct. Yeah. Pooping yeah. is a
0: good thing, especially it when is. you're trying to get pregnant, because when you can't poop, that does not make you feel good. Mm-mm,
2: not uh, at all. And when you're pooping <laughs> too much, that also does not yes. add to a sunny disposition. Happy pooping. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's
1: yeah, our tip that of the day. Is the
2: moral of today's <laughs> podcast <laughs> may you poop well and prosper. Yes. That's right. All right. Okay. Let's do one everyone, more question. Everyone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I am turning to 37 soon, starting my first IVF cycle, never been pregnant. 15 years ago, I expe- experienced migraine aura while well on NuvaRing. Neurologists determined that after using NuvaRing for five consecutive years, it was no longer working correctly, causing a fluctuation of hormones, triggering the migraine, also experiencing breakthrough bleeding. Discontinued NuvaRing and never had migraine aura until two years ago while on oral contraceptive to control acne. Aura returned after missing a pill, doubling up the next day, and missing following days pills oops <laughs> been off contraceptive since husband has a vasectomy and no migraines my question is are IVF stimulation meds likely to
1: trigger a migraine aura love you all on the podcast thank you unfortunately the answer is probably yes I had this conversation with somebody this week it's hard to know with estrogen if it's and some people it's different for different people so for some people it's the absolute level of estrogen that you get to that can be a problem for some people it's the fluctuation either up or down for some people it's both I, you know thinking that you got it when you had the ring. the NuvaRing, I would assume, is a fairly constant dose of estrogen all the time. So I just wonder if in your case, it's more related to the total, the, the, the level of estrogen rather than the fluctuation in estrogen. If that's the case, that's kind of not good news for IVF because estrogen levels can get, you know, four or five, ten times higher than normal levels. But like I tell my patients, it's one of those things, unfortunately, nobody has a crystal ball and we don't really know until you get started into the cycle. My best piece of advice for you and for my patient this week, is make sure you talk to your primary care doctor or you talk to a neurologist and you have a plan in place so that if that does happen, you know, if maybe if it happens toward the last two or three days of the egg retrieval, maybe you can still get through it, get the egg retrieval done. But then once those hormone levels drop, that may or may not trigger worsening of your migraine. So, bottom line is see if you can get on some kind of medication. Um, And I'm not a migraine doctor, but sumatriptan or some of those types of medicines that kind of help knock out headaches and just have a plan in place because it's miserable to be in that situation and not be able to get in to see a doctor to get that taken
2: care of. And for the plan, make sure you have a pregnancy contingency as well because you can't use the triptans in pregnancy. Yeah, that's true. Meds like Fioricet and other things, sometimes even just straight caffeine can be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so make sure you have that backup.
0: One thing I would also mention is, you know, we talk a lot about estrogen, but realize that the that the biggest component of birth control pills is progesterone. And so if you're actually, especially with that, you know, you got the migraine and aura when you were having to double up on your pills. I mean, there is a little bit of estrogen pills, but there's not as much estrogen as there was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you may actually be more sensitive to progesterone than necessarily the estrogen. And so, if that's the case, during the IVF stimulation, you may do okay, but it's more during your embryo transfer time that I'm more concerned and also during pregnancy because your progesterone levels are going to skyrocket with the placental production of progesterone. So, the big moral of the story is have a plan in place, sometimes be on some beta blockers. um, Also, might be a good preventative um, that's pretty pregnancy-friendly going in um, to help kind of counteract any of the the craziness we are we are intentionally
2: causing. Go crazy, go crazy. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. So let's move on to our topic of the day. We are talking about embryo disposition today, and that tends to be a big topic of conversation because there are a lot of people who, when they walk into our office and we're starting the very beginning conversations about IVF, their questions actually are very have very little to do with pregnancy is if I have embryos left over, what happens? And that is a mm-hmm. very important issue for a lot of people. So when you guys are starting those conversations, so you are at the very beginning discussion of, you know, we really need to do IVF. And someone says, how, what do I do with the embryos left over? And, and you can clearly see that they're imagining having an entire classroom worth of embryos <laughs> left over. How do you how do you start to address these questions? I would
0: like to say first of all I think we'll preface this that remember we are in Texas, Tennessee and in Los- Nevada. And so our recommendations, <laughs> our recommend, different states, but also know that some of our recommendations have to do with laws that are within our individual states. So absolutely, talk with your local provider about these things, okay? Because mm-hmm. there may be some some nuances. Um, but kind of to start off, that you know, I, I like to make the point that you know your embryos are your property, okay? So they are not the property of. The clinic. They are not the property of the storage bank where they are. They they are your property. They are an item, just like your house, your car, anything like that. So first of all, kind of get that in your in your brain that they are yours. They are not anybody else's.
2: Yeah.
1: And kind of to, to continue that discussion, one of the things I talk to patients, I think patients envision when they start out that if they get 15 or 20 eggs, they're going to have 15 or 20 normal embryos, and that's really not the case. Um, You know, the best prognosis regarding egg number for patients, I usually say it's 12 to 15 on average for somebody in their early to mid-30s, somewhere in that range, or even in their 20s. Um, and particularly if we tailor the stimulation. So sometimes if we know somebody has a really high AMH, we can sort of start out slow if we know they don't want a lot of embryos and maybe try not to get as many. But even if they end up with, say, 15 eggs, I usually tell my patients, you're going to have somewhere around two to four genetically normal embryos. And you know, I think really that's kind of a sweet spot um, because you know, we, we know that everybody has a pretty good chance even with one embryo transfer. But most patients that I see anyway, first of all, want to have one, more than one child. And unfortunately, even though in our practice, there's about a 60 to 65% chance of pregnancy, if we transfer a genetically normal embryo, that still means there's a few people that can miscarry. That still means that not everybody's going to get pregnant. So for most patients, I think when I let them know that 15 eggs doesn't equal 15 embryos, that makes them feel a lot better. Certainly age can make a difference. If you're older, like mid to late 30s or so, you're not going to get as many eggs. And you're you're gonna be lucky to have probably one or two genetically normal embryos. So and I think that's where I start the discussion. And there's always
0: the exception to the rule. Okay. So when we give you this experience, I mean, we've had people who've had no normal embryos and we've had people who've had 10 normal embryos right and and so one of the first parts of your decision making is are you how many embryos are you aiming for and are you okay? Potentially having extra embryos that you might need to do something with in the future, okay? <laughs> and and that's really kind of the the heart of what what we're what we're kind of getting to. So because we can do things like limited insemination and things like that. Um, I think we've recently talked about that a little bit. Um, will
1: talk but, about that, Susan. Tell me what you mean by limited insemination for people that didn't hear that episode.
0: Right. So essentially, what limited insemination is is we take a certain number of eggs. We will inseminate that number and then ideally cryopreserve the remaining eggs to be used in the future if necessary. So, say you only wanted to have one or two children and you wanted to absolutely make sure that you did not have extra embryos, some people would only inseminate a couple of eggs. I would not generally recommend that because Mm -hmm. there's a pretty (laughs) high chance that you may end up with nothing. Mm -hmm. But in people who they don't mind that embryology cost and that cost is minimal compared to their concern about having extra embryos, and your, your doctor will be able to kind Kind of tailor make. I had this conversation within the last week or two with somebody that we're like, okay, we're only going to inseminate between six to eight eggs because we only want a few embryos. Statistically, that should work. Um, but anything remainder, because the big cost of IVF is is getting the eggs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now the embryology costs are, are substantial, but if we can cut down on that med cost and that type of thing, when we freeze the eggs, ideally we can just thaw the ones that we need later on if you if you need it.
1: Plus you don't have to go back through IVF again. And the uh-huh. other good news is your the eggs are the same age as you are now, not the age you'll be five or six years from now, potentially when you might use those eggs. Mm-hmm. All
2: right. And I would love to drive home the fact again. And Susan already said it. I'm gonna say it. Abby, please feel free to say this again. Later. <laughs> but we cannot see the future. Like my crystal ball broke before I even got into med school. And so I have had patients where we have gotten 10 eggs and I am sweating bullets, and then we get five embryos out of them, which is a phenomenal. And our lab's super picky about embryos. We don't, if it doesn't have an ICM, if it doesn't have a trope, we don't. We don't freeze them. It doesn't
1: look good. You don't freeze them, right? Yeah.
2: And so, um, you know, that I have had patients who, you know, one woman with 49 eggs who had a partner with really terrible sperm. She made two embryos. I had another patient with the exact same number who made 27. The range that we can deal with is phenomenally large and none of us can see the future. And so our goal is to kind of take everything into consideration, what your personal goals are, what the financial impacts are, what your family goals, are and we will do our best, but there's no guarantee. And so there is an element of the unknown in this and we are trying our hardest, but no, we cannot control the future because if we did every single one of our patients would be pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Which would be great. Which would be great. (laughs) Which would be phenomenal. So when either of the two of you learn how to do that, you just let me know, okay? (laughs) Okay. So once you have someone who is so fortunate as to have had their 2.3 children and (laughs) they're thinking about what to do with their embryos, the first thing let's talk about is timeline. So let's say someone gets their positive pregnancy test and they have also just gotten a bill from the storage company and they say, okay, what do I do with these extra embryos? How do you guys respond? You
1: keep them. Keep them. Keep, keep them. them.
2: For how <laughs> you just- long and why?
1: Well, you just don't know what's gonna happen down the road. And so, you know, embryos are insurance that you have the ability to get pregnant again, even if something, God forbid, happened with this pregnancy that you have right now, because until you deliver that baby, you know, it's not a hundred percent certain that you're gonna have a live born, healthy child. So I would say, you know, my personal opinion would be I probably this is a big decision. And so I would probably wait, I don't know, a little while after that child's born and maybe a year or two and just talk about it with your partner. It's it's a big decision to decide what you're going to do with those embryos. I wouldn't make it quickly. I guess that's my point. So
0: what I generally tell my patients are, just like you said, Abby, you don't know what's going to happen in pregnancy. Unfortunately, sometimes bad things do happen in pregnancy. They're they're unusual to happen, but we do see them. Okay. Absolutely. So yeah. Absolutely. Wait that long, and and unfortunately, there there is a risk of SIDS, you know, sudden infant death syndrome, and other bad things that can sometimes happen, especially during that first year of life, that we may not have any notification of, even during pregnancy or even in the first few months of pregnancy, that we mm-hmm. may find that the baby has some major health problem or something like that. So definitely, I would say over wait until your baby is a year. Now my my kind of cushion on top of that is when you feel like you know what you want to do with your embryos, you wait another year.
2: Yes. You
0: still feel that way. Do with them whatever you want. Okay. Because I, I really feel when people come and talk to me, a lot of this, this decision is a journey. Okay. And this journey is different for every person and every individual in that couple. Okay. And at the point that you decide what you want to do, and you have gone one year beyond that, and you still feel absolutely confident you want to do whatever with your embryos, that's when you should do it. Because that $600, you know, payment that you're making for-ish for your storage is absolutely nothing compared to coming back to me and being like, I... Did this with my embryos and now we want to have another baby. And I can say all three of us have had that sinking mm-hmm. feeling in the bottom of our stomach of mm-hmm. oh, oh my goodness. I I wish yeah. I wish this wouldn't happen. And and I applaud anybody who's listening to this because I mean, I have to say most people do dispose of their embryos without talking to their REI. I mean. Mm-hmm. we we don't we don't you know especially if they're they're stored at a sperm bank that's outside of your clinic um we don't know when when you're disposing the embryos so you know these are things that happen often without a conversation with us so i applaud you for listening to this and, and thinking very carefully about what you're doing
1: yeah i think too just from this that emotional standpoint i think people are really 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 torn about this it, it's really i have friends who are in their 40s and 50s that still have Embryos that are frozen because they can't make a decision, and they know that they're not going to be able to use them, but they just they they just they're frozen. They can't that can't they can't make a decision one way or the other. So I think it's great that you're listening to this episode to at least kind of start thinking about it. Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing to consider in terms of waiting is that the the state of mind that you are in as a new parent, frankly, doesn't count because you're <laughs> sleep deprived. Yes, and you're going through a brand new experience that you probably have never gone through before and frankly even if you have gone through before um I we have a family friend who's a therapist who says anything that you do or say 6 weeks before and after a move like moving houses doesn't count when you extrapolate <laughs> that to a baby like you you have to take it out at least a year. And I can think of personal examples where, granted, I wasn't thinking about embryos, but my husband and I were talking about, do we want two or three kids? And after the second one, I'm like, oh yeah, sign me up for the third one. And then there was one day we were sitting in the car and and somebody asked us, do you want another one? And the words out of my mouth immediately were absolutely not, we're done. <laughs> and so that's gonna change really dramatically. And yeah. give yourself the leeway to change your mind, because when you're awake at two in the morning, you are, you know, adoring this little child while absolutely hating life. You need to give yourself that latitude, and so taking time is one of the biggest things that all of us can can advocate for. And so, make up your mind, and then make it up again six months later, a year later, two years later, because that money when. Forget the money. The brain space of going through another IVF cycle, dear heavenly days, don't do it again if you don't have <laughs> it's, to. It's
0: one thing if you have to do it. It's a completely another thing if it's an optional thing. I, yeah. I, remember, I remember early in my career, I remember this day vividly and I bet this happened This happened over 10 years ago. I remember I had a couple who came in who had had twins and the twins were like three months old and they discarded all their embryos and I had Tried my darndest to be like this is this is not the time to make this decision and they they wouldn't you know listen or anything like that and and you know it it was you know ultimately ob- absolutely their decision but it it has it has obvious it, it broke my heart and it, it still breaks my heart because of my concern about what what would happen in the future
2: mm-hmm. so let's say someone is far enough out mm-hmm. where they can be rightly said to not be in the newborn haze and <laughs> yeah. they can they can consider what their future might want to be and they say okay we are good shops closed and we have these X number of extra embryos, what the hell do we do with them? So what is option number one? And, And this is in no particular order donate 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 to who to what and how <laughs> That's So it's actually it's, a more complicated question <laughs> yeah actually uh, yeah. so in
1: our practice we have a way for patients to donate to our practice and you know initially it's anonymous but you know as we all know with ancestry.com and 23andme it's not going to be probably anonymous forever so the child that you have from those you know if you if someone if you give your embryos to someone chances are somewhere down the road if you have a family member it doesn't even have to be you if you have a family member like a child or brother or sister or something that's done that, they probably will be able to find you at some point. So the reality of today is that if you donate embryos and even anonymously, initially somewhere down the road, they're probably going to be able to find you. I will say at Nashville Fertility, we have a wonderful story and I think it's out there on the internet somewhere. about a family that did just that. And when their kids got to be 21 in their early 20s, they all found each other. And this was about a year ago. And it's a really happy, feel-good story. And if you search it on the internet, you can probably find it. In fact, I think they're trying to make a movie about it. I don't know if that how far that's gone. But anyway, so that there can be some really happy things that can happen when those children kind of bond together later on in life. Um, but that's the reality of it. Um, there's lots and lots of families that would love to have those embryos. I can tell you from a cost standpoint, it's, the most successful and least expensive, although it's not cheap, to take donated embryos. And so there's lots of people that want those. So donating to our practice in our, in our neck of the woods is what we do. Um, you can donate them. I've had patients that have met with other couples on chat rooms, um, I have a couple. Somebody right now who met somebody on the West Coast that that basically gave them their embryos. They talked to them, they sort of interviewed them, they liked them, and they all bonded together. And so my patient is able to use those embryos. So that's the other way you can donate them. So you can um,
0: and, so you can donate to clinics, and you can donate them to their nonprofit agencies who are will facilitate this. And then you can also do directed donation, like Abby said, through through chat rooms and things like that. And
2: and the ability to donate is largely dependent on not just state, but clinic policies as well. Um, I know that we just had a bunch of discussions with the lawyers that we're, I mean, we work with, but we're friends with as well. Um, and and we're trying to figure out, okay, like how do we, given the changing nature of IVF and disclosure laws and all of that, how do we do this? And we ended up putting up our entire program on pause because because of the legal considerations more than anything and so knowing how to navigate that and how it's unique from state to state clinic to clinic mm-hmm. you know how conservative a clinic is makes a difference too not Not in terms of maybe how you're thinking, but just the the risk tolerance of all right. How do we make this the best for the people who are giving and receiving? And that's a that is a really challenging thing. So it's widely different from place to place. Absolutely. All right. So so let's say you decide to donate to, or you're thinking about donating to another place or another uh, couple, and then you decide, you know what, we can't. We're not. We don't really want to do that for whatever reason what's another option?
0: So so you've decided not to donate to another couple, but you want to do something with your embryos. So one option is to discard your embryos. Okay. And that essentially, I mean, it sounds like a very cut and dry thing, but essentially what happens is your embryo is taken out of its cryo chamber and thawed and it is then discarded, and it's a it's a very reasonable option that that many people choose. There's
2: no pain that is experienced by anything. There's those receptors do not exist at the 150 cell stage. It is not that advanced. It is uh, in terms of the technical procedure, it is remarkably simple. In terms of the paperwork and the caution and the, oh my God, do we have the right one? The lab is, I mean, if you want to watch people have chest pain and have the tightest fingers you can ever observe, um, watch, watch embryologists discard embryos because you know every lab's different but like in our lab they will have about at least half if not the full team there to cross check mm-hmm. everything to make sure that it's the right set that are being discarded absolutely okay so you can donate them to another couple you can do- you can discard them where else can they go
0: you can donate them to research So, oftentimes, your IVF lab or other IVF labs are looking for embryos to do usually research on quality control, things like that, new processes, new, um, you know, different things that we have to have some sort of embryo type um, tissue And um, that you can talk to your local lab about, and they'll be able to go through that process with you. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So most most of the research happens if you donate them to research, like Susan said, it is quality mostly quality control testing media and things like that. It's not that we actually send your cells anywhere or grow. Yeah, never make a baby out of them. Nothing like that.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, if you read the book, um, immortal life, immortal life uh, with Henrietta Lacks. (laughs) That, you know, doesn't happen anymore. Doesn't happen. Um, There, if you have a particular condition in your family, like let's say you've got something genetic, you've got something that's a, a rare disease, things like that, there's the possibility of contacting one of the specialty research groups that works on whatever it is, and saying, you know, I'll give you my embryos if you want. Now, there's a ton of rules about researching with embryos. And so that's going to be highly dependent on all the individual factors involved. But that's something where it, particularly if you have known conditions, that there may be a research out there researcher out there who would appreciate that. Um I would agree with quality control. You know, there's a lot of things that we're constantly looking at and it can be something as simple as teaching the newest embryologist how to do a biopsy safely to t- trying out a different type of media to using a new technique to see okay if we do this is the embryo going to survive because we can get better information if we do this. There is a huge range. Now, a lot of people will say, "Well, I want to know exactly what you're doing." You may not Get that specific, like to that degree of what's going on with it. Um, I would say the vast majority of us are not doing anything that most people would find objectionable. Really, it is a lot of QC, of quality control. Can we make make this work? Like nobody's nobody's going to clone. Uh, you know, that's all. That is very much off the table. But um, but having those embryos to work with is really huge because I know when we're going through and saying, okay, how do we get this better? How do we do this? don't have embryos to work with, you can't do that because you need to know that when it counts on an embryo that someone wants to use, that you can execute beautifully. So, so let's talk about some of the nuances of disposition. For example, a couple makes their embryos and they are happily married or happily together. You know, who cares about marriage? They're together and they that they're going to bring new human beings into this world and they're going to be responsible for them. So they do that, they don't do that, whatever. And then they say, okay, we are no longer a paired unit. We are going to go our separate ways, but we still have embryos. What happens then?
0: So when you did your IVF cycle, you may remember this or not. I would say most people do not. You should have signed something to go over the things like death, divorce, Things like that, which is where Carrie's leading us. So, in the case of divorce, you would have at some point agreed of what would happen to your embryo. Now, obviously, your divorce documents will supersede anything that you've done beforehand, and so again, it's a time to re-talk. Does one of the partners want the embryos. Does the other person consent to that person having the embryos? Can you use those embryos for yourself or can they be stored for potential other options? Um. So I, I can say that in, in my particular case, I actually have an embryo that I still have. I have no intention of ever transferring this embryo into myself, I am done. my My shop is closed, <laughs> as 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 Carrie said. Um, but I'm holding on to my embryos for if my children might need some sort of donor something at some point in their life. I'm like, if you need donor egg or donor sperm, I would rather my kids have. My embryo, which is biologically their sibling, but I'm like, how is that any worse than using donor eggs or donor sperm to create another embryo? I think it's a cool gift. So I'm holding on to it for potential use, maybe in the future. I've at least kicked the can down a good decade or two. So I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> interesting. I've never heard a patient tell me they're going to do that, Susan. So that's interesting that you would say that, that. Actually, makes
2: a lot of sense. Yeah, it so, does
1: make a lot. of I'd never thought about that, but that does make a lot of I, sense.
0: I I know other people who have decided to do something similarly in the case of divorce, like they have held on to their embryos for their children potentially. Um, but again, they could choose to discard or donate to research or or different
1: things as well. Mm-hmm. One other thing I would bring up, too, and I've unfortunately encountered this two times in this past year. So um, I've had two different patients who've lost partners right after they created embryos and one of them right after she got pregnant, one right before she had a transfer. And so the legality of it, and I'm not an attorney, although I have a family of attorneys, but (laughs) I'm not an attorney the legality of it gets kind of sticky, actually. And I think, you know, this may be above and beyond what most people think about, what most people would do. But if you, like Susan said, embryos are considered as property. So it's, it would not be a bad idea to visit your, you know, attorney that wrote your will and go, can you add a paragraph about these embryos and that specifically after like if it's your partner after that person's death they're okay with you having a baby using their embryos because sort of the argument is you know if somebody created embryos with you they assume that they were going to be around to raise the child and if they're not around to raise the child legally that's getting a little bit more sticky about well yeah they're your property but maybe you need to go to court and have this court order to say it's okay and so just something to think about to make it easier on your partner down the road. Um, If that's truly okay with you to have a baby for her, for him or her to have a child with someone else when you wouldn't be around. Or by themselves. Or by themselves. Or by by themselves, themselves. yes. Exactly. So, and and
0: these are are good conversations to have when you're not in the moment. (laughs) I mean, because it is, it's one of those like, hey, we've got extra embryos or we might have extra embryos. If something happened to me, would I or would I not be okay? You having our child and raising that child by yourself or potentially with another partner. I mean, it's, it
1: or honestly, I would argue that actually, because both of these patients were right in the midst of everything when this happened. So I would argue that when you're signing your consents for IVF, maybe that's the time to have the conversation before you ever create embryos. Yes, yes, have that absolutely. conversation at that point. Yeah. But
0: if you but if you have your embryos, you need to have that conversation too. If you haven't had that, I mean it's one of those, you know, there's some people who really avoid the conversation of death and what what are our plans? Um you know, unfortunately, there are a few things that are inevitable
2: death and taxes, and. Um, Wall we'll dies someday. And that's <laughs> ex- death and taxes, not death in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry Just if that, like... <laughs> <laughs> that, Texas that accent does button. come out Go.
1: once in a while. <laughs>
2: Um, one thing for you all to know is especially if there has been particularly a divorce where both, both partners are alive and, and kicking, let's say you signed your consents and you checked the box that said, in case of divorce, we are going to do X. That is not as legally binding as if at the same time you went to a lawyer and had a, you know, half a page document that said in the event of divorce, the embryo, the control of the embryos goes to X person or they're going to be discarded or whatever. So that box is a really helpful guide. It means that the conversations have generally happened, but we also need, particularly in a contentious divorce, which sadly happens, uh, we need a legal document because no clinic is going to do anything without both partners signing off. And so just kind of tuck that in the back of your mind of this is this is a big deal. We take our stewardship of embryos very, very seriously. And uh, in the absence of a really clear decision and easy signatures from both sides, we'll want a court document.
0: And, and one thing to know is that when you're creating your embryos, and this is something that I think is pretty fluid and is changing even as we're having this discussion, is that, you know, sometimes people, especially if you create your embryos using some sort of donor gamete, so you use donor eggs or donor sperm, you may think, oh, well, if we use donor sperm, the person who whose egg it came from has more of a voice. Not necessarily. Essentially, if your embryo is created with your partner, not your spouse, but your partner with the intention of the two of you having this child together and raising it that that togetherness mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that intention of togetherness really holds a lot of weight and so mm-hmm. don't think that oh i'm create you know say if you're a female and you're using donor sperm because either you don't have a male partner that can produce sperm or you may have a same sex partner don't think that they don't have a right to those embryos. So, so make sure you understand that that togetherness intention does hold some legal weight. And if you're not certain about that, you need to have those conversations and have them documented in a legal form.
2: Agreed. All right. Any other last thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, or funny jokes?
1: Right. I, hopefully, hopefully an attorney wouldn't listen too closely to this. They're probably thinking, how do those MDs have JD degrees all of a sudden? We're talking a lot about legal. We just know attorneys are important. So let's, we'll put it that way.
2: <laughs> we do. we do. None of us have legal degrees, but all of us have seen the legal fallout. And yes, so that's right. <laughs> when in doubt, contact an attorney who, who knows what they're doing because just a general family law attorney may not necessarily know all of the nuances compared to an attorney specialized in reproductive law. And all of us have also seen the fallout. Fallout of a a general attorney who doesn't specialize in reproductive law, drawing up these contracts and having it be a high holy mess. And so those reproductive law attorneys are really good at what they do. They have horror stories you would not believe. And so our goal is
0: for you not to have the horror story. We want if something (laughs) bad happens, we want you to know what are your rights through your attorney and make sure that you have a plan.
2: Mm -hmm. We want you to be able to feel all the emotions you're feeling without worrying about the logistics. Mm-hmm. All right, my lovelies, I am so glad that I got to talk to you this morning. And I'm so glad that we get to talk to all of our listeners because that's a pretty fabulous thing that we do every week. And um, we do not take this privilege for granted at all. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for more. Hot off the press kind of news. We have a conference coming up October 28th in New Braunfels, Texas. That's between San Antonio, Austin, real short drive. And be sure to um, keep that on your radar. It will be us and a fabulous lineup of speakers that we're setting up right now. And I'm super excited. Um, (laughs) Be sure to subscribe. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and iTunes and all of the places. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. So pop on by, leave us a like, leave us hello and we can't wait to hear from
0: you. You can also visit fertilitydocsandcensor.com to submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions will be answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Docs segment,
1: so don't hold back.
0: We also love episode ideas, so let us know what you're thinking and want to hear.
1: As always, this podcast is intended for entertainment. It's not substitute for medical advice from your physician and we look forward to hearing from you soon. We'll talk to you later. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: Today's episode was brought to you by Alife Health. Whether you're currently going through IVF or looking to create a digital record, the Alife app can help you stay organized, informed, and empowered throughout the entire IVF journey. Download the Alife app today. Now available on the Apple App Store.